You're listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio, and this is RVA Report, WRIR's weekly current affairs show, where community thought and political leaders gather to weigh in on the headlines, their significance, and where they might take us tomorrow. But first, the news. Richmond City Council unanimously approved Monday night to commit $5 million towards a slavery commemoration project in Shaco Bottom. Council's vote to commit money for a slave history site is independent of Mayor Dwight Jones's plan to put a ballpark and other mixed-use development in the same area. Councilman John Belisles of the 1st District, who introduced the resolution, made it clear that the city's signal to the General Assembly to match city money in exchange for more state money would... Hopefully, for the 11 million dollars in state funding, which will put us at obviously the 16 million dollar mark, uh, irrespective of anything else. Former Governor Bob McDonald's last budget proposal asked for $5 million for the planning and construction of the pavilion at Lumpkins Jail, another $5 million for the planning and construction of a slavery museum, and $1 million for improvements to the Richmond Slave Trail. As a condition for acquiring the state money, the city would have to commit at least $5 million and the required real estate. City Council's resolution to promise the $5 million to slave history-related projects comes just two weeks before the body is supposed to vote on Mayor Jones's revitalize RVA project. City Council's commitment also signals their support for keeping a proposed slave history memorial and museum a separate project from the revitalize RVA project. The mayor's broader initiative calls for a new baseball stadium, a grocery store, a hotel, apartments, as well as a slave history museum. However, Mayor Dwight C. Jones opposes the idea of separating slave history projects from his main ballpark plan. Also on Monday night, two unexpected guests came before council. It's not uncommon for members of the public to speak to council during open comment time. This time, it was Mayor Dwight Jones, who only spoke very briefly to introduce one of the city's newest residents. Uh, he was the first governor that I know has come to our legislative reception. That governor, needless to say, is Governor Terry McAuliffe, who took office just last month. In what was thought a possible ballpark endorsement for the mayor, Governor McAuliffe was only popping in to say hello. But I just wanted to come by because uh, I am now a resident of the city of Richmond. I have changed uh, my voting registration, my wife uh, as well, so we will be now voting here. And I just want to first and foremost come by and say hello to all of you. Governor McAuliffe praised the city and its new projects like the Redskins training camp, the slave trail in Lumpkins Jail, and the fact that Richmond will be hosting the 2015 UCI World Bicycle Championships, which he will be co-chairing on the organizing board. McAuliffe made no mention of the mayor's redevelopment plan, though. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Cameron Vigliano. One of Richmond's most popular music venues has been having trouble recently. The Camel, located on the 1600 block of West Broad Street, has been forced to change its operating schedule. While it was their policy to host live performances lasting until 2 a.m. every night of the week, the city of Richmond is now enforcing the venue's special use permit, which mandates that music stop at 11 p.m. on weeknights and 1 a.m. on weekends. Local musician Matthew Volks expresses the anger many of Richmond's local artists feel about the sudden enforcement. It's a good venue. It hadn't been bothering anybody for the past five years. There's no reason to try and restrict somebody who's trying to, you know, bring up a part of Richmond and make it stronger and put our city on the map and make our city worth coming to. When the Camel opened in 2008, the permit was tied in with the radio station above it. This placed the venue under restrictions that other venues in the city are not required to adhere to. For the Camel to operate as it did prior to the enforcement of the shared permit, the venue will have to apply for its own permit. Owner of the Camel, Rand Burgess, feels that the process of applying for a separate permit is too tedious 
and that it makes little sense for the city council to vote on it. When our special use permit was applied for, they combined WRIR as well as the camel, with WRIR, which is our neighbors above us, radio for the rest of us. The permit was combined because the buildings are attached, whereas prior the camel was zoned urban business. So under that designation, there is no restrictions on movement, on music or entertainment or anything. But because the application was combined and they did it at the same time, they grouped the addresses together. While Richmond Public Media was unable to find any sources opposed to the venue operating as it did before the enforcement of the permit, the response from residents of the fan have all been positive. VCU graduate and Richmond native Eric Mota frequents the camel and shared the view most people seem to have. As a VCU graduate, RVA native, um, this is definitely like a place where plenty of people congregate to. It's definitely bringing, you know, a lot of attention to the area, for, especially for local business. You know, it's bringing in from money for local business and definitely it's some place where people gather and get to support local artists and other artists who are coming into the area too. Burgess says that while hopes are high for an approved new permit and return to normalcy for the business, at the moment the future is uncertain. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Onofrio Castilla. Just what makes that little old land Think he'll move that rubber tree plant Anyone knows an ant can't Move a rubber tree plant But he's got high hopes He's got high hopes He's got high apple pie In the sky So anytime you're getting low Instead of letting go Just remember that ant Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. If ever there were a totally unscientific but absolutely fascinating gauge of public opinion on Mayor Dwight C. Jones' Shaco Bottom baseball proposal, it would be Facebook. Filled with memes, missives, and rat-a-tat assaults from both sides over the past few months, hoping to drown out the other, presumably hoping to capture the hearts and minds of some unknown segment of the face space that's as yet undecided on the issue. What tends to work best in this mess is short, pithy. Enter Michael Rogers, whose idea of short and pithy is about 3,000 words accompanied by pictures and graphs. Amazingly, though, in the past two weeks, two of Rogers' pieces on his Highways and Hallowed Halls blog have been reposted and commented on dozens, possibly hundreds of times. Then on Monday, the mayor did a one-up on Rogers, showing up at city council with his own meme in the form of a very living, breathing Governor Terry McAuliffe. Looks like this debate over baseball in the bottom is heading into extra innings. I'm with Michael Rogers. He's author of Highways and Hallowed Halls, a blog that he's maintained for the past three years, uh, begun shortly before he graduated from the University of Richmond. And the blog and the still semi-anonymous Rogers have been elevated of late to near legendary status for a post, Minor League City, posted about a week ago, and more recently a post, Ten Reasons, uh, posted earlier this week, uh, that takes a rational and detailed approach to why he believes baseball does not belong in Shaco Bottom. In fact, both pieces do. I'm also with Charlie Dirador. He's our resident political pundit and my co-producer on the show here. Uh, and I'm not with Paul Goldman, but he'll be here soon. His latest column for WTVR on Governor Terry McAuliffe's semi-surprise, but nonetheless very surprising appearance on Monday night at Richmond City Council in support of Shaco baseball has blown up and... Paul's doing another interview ahead of heading over to our studio. Guys who are here so far, welcome, and Paul, we'll Thank see you. you in a bit. Thanks, Chris. 
All right. And really, I guess we're, we're sort of here to talk a little bit about highways and hallowed halls. I first want to thank Michael very much for uh, doing the city a great favor by uh, bringing a, a real common sense approach to the debate. Thank you. Uh, I've been reading your stuff. Uh, it was brought to my attention a few weeks back, and uh, it's devoid of fire, and yet it's on target. It doesn't call anyone out. It's not ugly. It's not racially driven. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's it's what writing is supposed to be, and it's honest. Um, and so I think um, we're very fortunate to have you uh, in the fact that I don't think really anybody has known who you were. So welcome to the news. <laughs> well, I wanted um, to keep it that way, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, now His that, name is now not that's Michael all over Rogers, with. It's Roger Michaels, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Michael, what led you to um, start writing, not specifically about this? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and give me the name of your blog again, please. It's highways and Hallowed Halls. Highways and, and Hallowed Halls. Um, mm -hmm. So run me through the inception of what brought you to starting this blog. Right. Well, I, I was about to graduate from college and really kind of freaked out about not having a, an arena venue to, to write for. And I'd written for the college papers, the opinion editor, and also obviously finished a thesis my senior year. And so I started the blog to give myself sort of a gymnasium for my brain, my ideas. Um, I felt like uh, I was going to go insane if I didn't have an outlet, so it was my outlet. Real quick, before we talk more about that, can you tell us your thesis was something very interesting and yeah. in fact has quite a bit to do tangentially with this. A lot to do with this. Um, so uh, really my, uh, my college experience started um, with sort of, um, basically started with a hiccup. Uh, I wanted to study urban cities, or um, I wanted to study urban studies, sorry, and I realized that U of R didn't have an urban studies program, and the only sort of interdisciplinary program they had had been canceled the semester before I got there. So I realized I couldn't do what I wanted to do, but I uh, managed to build my own major and um, piece together a lot of like local history, politics, rhetoric, and it was sophomore year that I was on a bus tour through Jackson Ward that I started realizing that there was something important about uh, the history of that neighborhood. Something amiss? Something amiss, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't always that way. That was the first time I realized that it, it wasn't always that way. And I thought I was studying gentrification in Jackson Ward, but that story became more about the highway and the reason why the neighborhood fell apart in the first place. So tell us more about that highway. I mean, let's not just leave that hanging out there. Yeah, well, the highway um, was an idea, obviously, that took over America in the middle of the 20th century. And there was sort of this mania. <clears throat> and it's a generally good idea, right? I mean, they were linking our cities together. It's fast transportation, right? Maintained by both federal and state right. dollars. Right. Good for military. Well, it was going to be good for military until they ran them through cities. Ah. Um, that was the big. That was a big change, I guess, that happened in the '40s, um, or a little earlier. But you know, in Richmond, they first dropped the idea in, in the early '40s, and it was uh, in a master plan for the city of Richmond, done by an outside firm, Harlan Bartholomew and Associates, and they didn't say where the highway was going to go exactly, but they did put it on the general path where it is today. And that was in the early 40s. Um, about a decade later, the city of Richmond, finally, um, there, were, there were petitions to put the, the issue to a vote. And so there was a referendum in 1950, then another referendum in 1951, and the city of Richmond soundly rejected the highway both times. Not popular. Not popular at all. I mean, it, it was absolutely, you know, absolutely uh, rejected by the city of Richmond. The residents didn't want it. And even though the traffic was horrible, like worse than we can even imagine, uh, they still didn't think that the highway belonged where they wanted to put it. So we had bad traffic in Richmond? Horrible traffic. Really? Well, the thing is, they, des they destroyed downtown because traffic with the highway because traffic was so bad and they made it a less desirable place to go. So the traffic isn't as bad anymore. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So the highway sort of served the purpose that it was intended <laughs> to serve. Sadly, yes. Um... They, they said highways go downtown because that's where people want to go. But they didn't realize that downtown is so valuable that 
highways shouldn't go downtown where they take up acres and acres of incredibly valuable urban land that can't be developed, can't be inhabited, can't be enjoyed by the citizens of, of Richmond. So that was that. That was that. Well, Which I leaps mean, us forward to today's. <laughs> well, almost. I mean, the end of the story, obviously, the highway. And um, the only book I'd read on it was Christopher Silver's 20th Century Richmond. And it he, he sort of like, he sort of tells the story, but doesn't really tell it as dramatically as it, it should be. I, I was like trying to piece the uh, and this is which together. book again? Sorry? It's which book again? Uh, 20th Century Richmond. 20th Century uh, planning Richmond. Planning Politics and Race in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And so, but he, I really, I was blown away. I mean, because it had been re- rejected once, rejected twice, overwhelmed. I mean, like uh, 52 precincts to four or something like that. Wow. And, um, and so I, I realized all of a sudden that after it had been rejected twice, the city of Richmond found a way to navigate through political structures to create a independent authority that didn't have to uh, have any the residents didn't have any say and then they built it about uh, six years later wow and real quick just uh, for the listener paul goldman has joined us welcome my pleasure he's always here um and so anyway so we got our highway we did in fact, eventually we got a number of highways mm-hmm. throughout the city, 195, Powhite Parkway, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I, I think the first one was the, really the, the biggest blow to the city. And I know that the rest were protested pretty fiercely, but I don't know if anyone was able to force a referendum the way they were in the 50s. And so I don't know if the city really ever got, got a chance to say. How did that get forced, the referendum? Well, uh, I'm not positive about the first one, but the second one was actually a former mayor, Jay Fulmer Bright. And he was mayor of Richmond for almost 20 years, I think. Wow. Uh, he was a really long-term mayor. This is when Richmond had a 32-member bicameral system, if you can imagine, a 32-member city council. No, I don't even want to think about council. covering that. Well, they didn't do anything. And that was what the real problem was that they really, and, and uh, like gave him a library board or something. Exactly. And Bright really had been a pretty conservative mayor. No nonsense, no big projects. And so he hated the highway. And, and this, if you can imagine, a former mayor of Richmond uh, was, you know, forcing referenda with petitions um, in the city. Fine. I can see Paul over there thinking, 32 members. I should crack over the uh, crack Actually, open the, the listener uh, the could chart. probably hear Paul's brain <laughs> right now going into overdrive. <laughs> We're cracking open that charter again. 32 council members. This is going to make things work. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> Just what we need. Just what we need. <laughs> So, so we did get a referendum, and he pushed yes. it through basically on, on his own he did personality. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. A lot of groundwork. I mean, he needed signatures for a petition to, to force a referendum. And so he got enough signatures, and he forced the second referendum, at least a second, if not both. Another, another point that was made was that this is just after Richmond was changed to a nine-member city council with a city manager system. And so a lot of researchers at the time believed that they were trying to prove themselves. Basically, it was this hmm. new system. This was their first big test. They put a lot, of, a lot behind this highway plan, so they really needed to find a way to make so, it work. So there really are a lot of parallels. A lot of parallels. Then to now. Yes. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts? The, um, the public is against putting the baseball stadium in Shacklebot, and it has become more entrenched in its opinions. We can debate whether that's correct or incorrect. We can debate whether they have you the can't debate inf- that. Well, we can debate fact. the you can debate the reasons for it. You can say, well, you know, they're misinformed, which what the mayor would say. You don't really understand. The business community might say the same thing. Uh, they'll talk about this is the only way to save chocolate. So let's just mm-hmm. let's get past the substance of the argument or put that aside. We know the public is against it. We're not sure of the magnitude, but it's it's fairly substantial. It's not close, which doesn't mean that the mayor and everybody couldn't win a referendum. That Put that aside. That's politics. Okay? You don't know. Anything could happen. What makes this somewhat um, an unusual situation in the history of Richmond, it seems to me something like this. The business community has historically rightly or wrongly, been willing to push a project that the African-American community doesn't like. But they've never actually 
pushed a project that the white community doesn't like. Now, we may not like to analyze things this way, but I'm talking frankly and honestly based on the history of the city and based on, I'm not suggesting this is right or wrong, we're talking of, we're analyzing it as a factual situation and then people can decide, you know, the reasons for that. So I find this rather extraordinary from that point of view because I've seen the various, over my own experience and read enough about it, as to why on this particular issue, when the city, which is oftentimes divided, the people have been divided so often, are united on this. Why, at this particular time, have the leaders of the city decided that, no, we are just going to jam this through? We're going to, if it, we can't get seven, we'll figure out a way to get five. If we can't get five, we'll figure out a way not to even have council vote. We're just going to be given a blanket authority to sign these contracts and do what we want. There's no public bidding. Right. If they way they're going to do it, they're already no. They're talking about, well, we have to negotiate things. Now, things have already been negotiated for the last two years. They had to do something. Why on this issue, at this point in time, is all hands on deck where the mayor can come out and say things which the Richmond newspaper described as racist – which they normally would go in an uproar over, they just say it, done with. Don't ask anybody to call it back. Nothing. What is it about this project? Well, do you have a theory? Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to ask. So what is it? I've been trying to figure. I mean, the, the only thing... I think we thing, all have been trying to figure The only out. thing that comes to mind is that there's so much money to be made, and I'm not against that at all, you know, that there's sufficient amount of money to be made that the people who are going to make the money have figured out that you can involve a lot of other people who can benefit from this personally. That's how they've been able to overcome a lot of this objection. Because remember, the last time this was actually presented to a mayor, okay, was to Wilder. It was actually presented... And it was presented not in a recessionary time, then in a time when people theoretically could have done it. And anyone who looked at it said, it, it doesn't add up, not the way you're going to do it. Because look, if, if let's, let's understand this. The mayor and his people are saying it's a free stadium. It'll pay for itself with the revenue that's generated. That was what thing. was being and said back then. And that's what Kreckman right. and Bostick said okay. in 09. Okay. Point is, if that's the case... Why does the city have to put in $120 million of public money? Why do we have to guarantee to pay off the bonds? Why should we be doing anything? If it's going to be free and it's going to be paid, why isn't private enterprise stepping up and saying, hey, no problem. Just make sure all the tax revenues that's generated goes to pay for the bonds and you don't have to be on the hook. Why are we giving a moral obligation to pay off the bonds if something happens, if it's free? Have they... Have they have they said they're going to be moral obligation what, bonds well, or general obligation well, bonds? That's still a debate, right? No, well, I just saw that the, the league is going to cover it if something happens to the squirrels. No, that's it, that? talk, no I saw that's that. The rent. That they would, they would, oh, yeah, yeah. You're talking, you're talking about the rent. No, according to what they put and in. The rent is $1.7 million. I mean, right. I, what my question is, is as a real estate developer, which is my profession, you know, Paul, I, I look at it a little bit differently. Well, what's the question? I, well, I look at it a little bit differently. Let me set the question up. Okay. Um, we're a bank. The citizens of the city of Richmond are a bank. We're shareholders in a bank. And the city council, in essence, is our, our, our lending board. Okay? Here's the question. Why don't we know? Why doesn't the lending institution, the lending arm, council, know what the financials of the squirrels are? Have the financials of the squirrels ever been shown? Now, there was an article in this morning's paper where several people have now bought into the squirrels. Several Richmond luminaries, money guys, have bought substantial pieces, I, I assume, of the team. Now, as I recall, DeBella said at one point there were 15 partners, some from New York, some from other parts of the country, and then they brought in another partner from Richmond and as I recall, his piece of the puzzle was $2 million. Now we've got five other partners, six other partners, as I read in the newspaper. The question is this. 
if we're being asked to lend them money, which is what we're doing, we're building them a building. We're building them a building. Where's their financial statement? I want to see their financial statement, and I think we are due to look at that financial statement. I think you're right, but that's why the way they're setting it up is the city, is what I'm saying. When you look at the latest plan, the city's guaranteeing the lease. In other words, the EDA is going to build it, and they're going to lease it to the city. The city is going to pay them a lease, which will pay off their bonds, so that the EDA will have a revenue stream, because that's the way it makes its money, from the city, guaranteed the way the mayor puts it in. We don't know what they can do it legally. But this is their plan, and which will come out to somewhere around $120 million before, we're guessing us on the interest rate, before you talk about cost overruns, before you talk about any of the other improvements that may have to be made. So you say to yourself, this is all public money. It's, not, it's money that could go for schools, it could go for parks, it could go for roads. Okay, we're putting it in there. I don't see why that's such a high priority. But if it's the case where the city is saying, hey, don't worry, we're guaranteeing this lease, but, but all the tax revenues that are going to be generated, all the naming rights is all going to pay, why isn't private enterprise willing to build this? If it's going to pay for itself and it's such a good deal, why isn't private enterprise stepping up? Mm. Why are we building the squirrels a stadium? Why are we going to improve the ground, the bottom, and and and, and it will enhance the value of that land? Well, we need. Which we've always needed. I will. I will. I'll take you to task on that one, in a polite way. We do need to do infrastructure improvements in Shaco Bottom. So I think this is actually a nice segue to talking with you, Michael, a little bit about your top 10 reasons for the Shaco Ballpark being right. a bad idea. Yeah. Because many of those ideas build, so to speak, or don't build on, mm. on exactly what Paul and Charlie were just saying. Yeah, with, absolutely. With regards to development, how this would affect the center of the city. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, you amenities. actually do you do less with the space when you build a baseball stadium than you could if you, if you had a lot of smaller places in a, in a more intentional development. And and also, I mean, I'm really wondering what we're going to do in 50 years or even 100 years when the ballpark, I mean, that's a really generous, really generous estimate that the ballpark is outdated in 100 years. Well, the, but it will normally, be outdated at some point, these right? ballparks are outdated in 25, 30 years. Exactly. But, you know, 20 years, 25 years well, is look a at the diamond. span. Exactly. You know, Paul, going back to what you had said well, earlier about, about I, it. I, but I want to interrupt for a second <laughs> because it, it, it just came to my mind. And the diamond was built with private funding, wasn't it? Some of it. Remind some, me how yes, it was built. It. There, was a, there was a private um, contribution. I'm trying to remember because the... Um, I'm really sorry to have interrupted, mm. Michael, but this there, is important there, because there, there in bringing it into context of what you've been writing about right. historically... So, was there a bond issued on the diamond at all? Well, I'm assuming they, it was, it was built by the RMA. RMA. Yeah. I, I know that the city, there were some contributions. It was uh, contributions from the different uh, jurisdictions, and there was a private component, too. And there's a land, of course. It was city land, and that's why, again, I think the RMA is involved. Well, it, the U-Crops had a lot to do with building yeah, I rem- the diamond, I think right? I remember reading about, yeah, I think it was Bobby. Who that uh, they raised some money and, and Jim's all for this project. Let's 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 let that be on the record that Mr. Ucrop is all for building it in Shaco Bottom. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Michael, but that just struck me, and I apologize for we, interrupting. We never, we Please never, continue. This was not built. This is being built really strictly with public money. I mean, they're mm-hmm. making it sound free, but again, the city's guaranteeing the lease. The guaranteeing that's why you know. Uh, whether the squirrels could make it up or not, the city is saying that we're behind this. We're guaranteeing the money. So if it doesn't work, the public's on a hook. But they don't want to say that. Right. Uh, but that's the facts. And so, okay, so you're talking about the, there's the rent and then there's the lease, right? The city, as I understand the latest proposal, is that the EDA is going to build the stadium and then the city's going to lease it back from them. And the city is going to pay a lease equal to the what it's going to cost to retire the bonds. Which, by the, the way, the city which, is going to pay the lease. Yeah, I was going to say, which, by the way, puts it backwards to the way that Charlie was suggesting. Well, we're the bank. In this case, we're actually the the customer. We're buying the house. Yeah, so we're what, renting. What, it's interesting what they have to do. They have to. We're get the loan committee, and the borrower. 
Wow. Okay. What, what, as I understand what they're going to be doing, and I got to read the latest. You got to get the land in the hand of the EDA because they have to build everything. So the city's got land and it has to lease, it's gonna, it, lease it or something to the EDA. Then the EDA builds the stadium and it, then it leases it back to the city. And that way, the EDA can issue their bonds by saying we have a guaranteed stream of revenue. So interestingly, I think this is some of how Short Pump Town Center worked. Really? Yeah. So there was an EDA. So Taubman sued um, Forest City, uh, which was the developer of Short Pump, Taubman being the developer of Stony Point. And they were objecting to uh, some of that, you know, who's the customer, who's the lender, uh, where is the borrower in here, and how is the money happening? Uh, financing scheme, I suppose. Really, I should look into that. Well, if you think about it, the number one question that's got to be answered is not really where's the financing come from, where's this, where's that. Is do you need five votes on council, or you need seven votes to pass this thing? Because whatever they come up with, if they need seven. I don't think they can get seven. But if they need five, with all the muscle that they're putting behind it, I believe they can get five votes. And if they can get five votes, they can come up with any plan they want. And and the, the effort here has been to cut out the public. Every time I've written something, the next day or the next day, they come out and say, well, we're not going to do that. You say, well, you know, if you do it this way, there's going to be a public, could be a public referendum. And three or four days later, well, no, we're not doing it that way. The latest proposal looks like that they're not telling you whether it takes five or seven. It's a, I've had different texts today. People say, well, it's five, it's seven. You can't tell. They're going to let Byron Marshall negotiate the whole thing, perhaps, and then he'll tell you what you're going to get. So I get back, why? Why is this particular project so important that they are doing everything they can to get this particular project through. Now, it is connected with the boulevard. Mm-hmm. And there's Definitely. hundreds of millions of dollars there. So, you know. Now, isn't that incentive enough? I mean, you really do what have. Do they say? Well, Jones wants the boulevard more than he wants the but ballpark. He can, but he, the thing is. Jones wants the boulevard more than he wants the ballpark. Why? Well, why, but why is he not there for giving up the ballpark? See, that's the thing that well, doesn't Well, if he was, let me ask you this. If he was, let me ask you this. Why hasn't there been a specific plan put forward right. yet? He doesn't want to because that would be losing That would be losing to him if you put a plan with the ballpark on the boulevard. Is that what you mean? No. You mean the designs for Where's the Where's the design outlay layout for the boulevard? Well, there's a, there's a sketch on the website. Sketch is nice. Yeah. Sketch doesn't get borrowed money. I mean, Sketch obviously. doesn't bring tenants. Right. I don't know. I mean, the argument for the, the, argument for be, the baseball stadium in the bottom was we have tenants. First of all, they have letters of intent that don't have tenants. Right. There's a whole world of a difference between a letter of intent and a lease, and therefore, a, and, 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 and further on, a ratified lease, okay? So we've got letters of intent. Now, I'm not saying that Charles McFarland, the, the, uh, the hotel developer, is, is going to walk on the deal, and I'm not saying that, that um, uh, Kroger's going to walk. Kroger's already committed to putting $12 million mm-hmm. into the location, which is a sizable amount of money and, and confuses me given the fact that I don't know that there's the density in Shaco Bottom or the need in Shaco Bottom for a second grocery store. Well, they're saying it's for the whole East End, I guess. But Okay, well, if they think that's going to work with traffic counts the way they are on Main Street, then I think they need to refigure their numbers. Well, that's their social justice angle is the food justice argument. They're, they've got the schools argument, so the, the aren't these just, pay for the these schools. These are just arguments they're throwing out. Right. But, but, but it's a big force field around the, right? around the ballpark. It's you, distracting everybody. They right throw now. everything. You know what? It keeps thinking to me that who's ever behind this has pretty clever. Yeah, be- they are. Because I think what they're really trying to do is get the city to do the improvements in Shaco Bottom and that they decided that the way they could do this and get the city to pay for it now is to tie it to a baseball stadium. The mayor then decides, well, I better tie the stadium to a slave history museum. But the people that stand to benefit in terms of the the land and whatever there don't really care about the baseball stadium, perhaps. Don't Mm. really care about the heritage trail. They want those improvements because those improvements will make the whole bot the land there 
which have been bought fairly cheaply because for years it hasn't really been useful, that land becomes incredibly valuable all of a sudden. And if the price to pay is, well, we're not going to be hurt by a baseball stadium, not going to be hurt by a heritage trail. But if I just came out and said, because let's be honest about it, you haven't heard anybody say, well, look, why don't we just do the improvement? Let us fix, you know, 30 million, whatever it's going to take, right. fix up the land. I said it in 09. Well, in you say it now. <laughs> why don't you just do that? That'll make the land a lot more valuable than a baseball stadium will make it. Right. It'll be a lot cheaper. They don't want to do that. And they don't want to write up the projections for the tax revenue they could generate from well, that. But, but even then, so it the, tells me perhaps is just analyzing is this. They weren't sure they could get the city to put up the money to do that on its own. So they tied it to all these other things. What's ironic now is the people would probably say, fine, if that's what it takes to get rid of the baseball stadium, just fix it up. Go ahead. Let's just pay for it. It would be more valuable to them. If the mayor really wants a legacy, how many, there's been how many baseball stadiums built uh, in this country over the last uh, 15 years? A well, lot. I mean, that's a long, yeah, that's a long uh, Name list. me one mayor that's remembered because they built the baseball. You don't get remembered Actually, for Actually, name me one mayor that's been reelected. Well, I'm saying that you don't even get there's named. There's an article in Governing Magazine in the past month. Uh, and I can't quote directly from it because I don't have it in front of me. But there is an article in Governing Magazine that shows that the mayors who uh, undertook these major building projects, whether they be major road projects, whether they be mm. major stadium projects, have all been dismissed from office well, by the voters. a moot point here, isn't it? We have a Well, it is a moot that's point. That's true. Second-term yes. mayor. Turned, Which is why I don't it. understand. The other thing I don't understand is this. For two years— it was, we're going to the boulevard. You heard it too, right, Paul? We're going yep. to put the stadium on the boulevard. We're committed to the boulevard. We're going to do this on the boulevard. And then they turned on a dime. Mm -hmm. Michael, why do you suppose they did that? You've been studying this diligently. Why do you suppose they did that? Because I can't figure it out. Maybe it's flashier. Paul? Putting something in the middle of the city. We know this mayor likes flash. I mean, no, I don't. Redskins are flash. I, mm -hmm. Well, the Redskins, getting the Redskins down to, even though it's a nine-week thing, when you look at it, you know, getting the Redskins here, it's certainly something. Try. I, I don't think, I think most people in Richmond were saying, hey, let's be nice, let's try. And they may have not liked the actual deal went fast. Let's try and give $10 million away. Yeah, well, all right, let's try. No, you know, <laughs> we're good for, at that. For Richmond, we're really, really good at that. Let's for, give green space away. Let's well, try that, no, sure. No, but I think most people were willing to do that because. Right. It's a pretty okay Because, thing. first of all, hey, you know, it's, it is the Redskins. It's a major team. It's quite a bit different. We weren't doing anything particularly with that land. You know, you didn't have to see it if you didn't want to. It's behind. We were growing some nice trees. Yeah, but well, you know what interests me? Okay, they is cut them down, and I nobody really complained. I guess Bob really McDonald liked the Redskins, oh, but not a, Bob McDonald liked the Redskins, but not enough to give him the land across the street. Well, he made sure we no, gave him that, our land I think and our school dollars well, and all the funding that would have gone to schools over the next 10 years. Well, that, that may be, wasn't it? And, you know, you might have been able to fix up a couple of schools, $10 million for what the city actually put in. It's not going to go quite as far. It would have gone farther than the 700000 that was in the budget I, I to fix schools what, last but, year. You know, you've got $700 million in needs. They need a plan, they need a plan to fix them. The, in terms of why the Redskins came here, it's because the, McDonald gave them money to keep their corporate offices up in Northern Virginia. Yeah, because Dan Snyder needs the money. There's and, no question about that. And the argument, and he said he would only give them the money if they relocated their training, training facility in the state of Virginia. And mm -hmm. this is probably as far away as they wanted to get from Washington. But I don't think, I think most of the people, if you had put it up to a vote, would have supported the Redskins being in Richmond. I think for them, for having a team, the Redskins in Richmond. Okay, now we're talking. Well, there's nothing historical about that forest they tore down, or not as much as. But I mean, the, the Redskins. It's it's a major national. I mean, it's a major. We're talking major league. Okay, now we're talking double A. Man, we used to have a triple A baseball team. Now we're talking double A. All right. What I'm saying is, how many mayors? Charlie's point probably answers that. How many mayors have had a positive, memorable hmm. legacy of building a baseball stadium? Doesn't look like a lot of them. Okay? I don't think the mayor sees the baseball stadium as 
the mm. legacy part, which is important to him, but I don't think that's the, the key at all. What's, so his, isn't, what's isn't, his driver then? I think his driver is the fact that this is an amazingly large development project and that, uh, you know, when you have these big projects, let me go back to what uh, George Washington Plunkett said. You probably never heard of George Washington no, Plunkett. George Washington. Washington. You may have heard of George Washington Absolutely, yeah. He's a famous... Um, he was a quarterback, ward, right? ...ward leader in Tammany Hall. The, 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 um, there was a quarterback uh, named Plunkett. Quarterback of the Tammany Hall Indeed, yes. uh, politicians back in the New York, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Became very wealthy, mm -hmm. uh, wrote a book. And one of the things he talked about was what he called honest graft. Yeah. And what was honest graft? Given. Honest graft is corruption. He admitted <laughs> it was corrupt. However, let's assume you have so the a public piece, interest. Let's assume right. you have a piece of property. And you got a couple of pieces of property that could hold an arena. That will be built anyway. And it's going to be built anyway. Right, so... Well, you got to build it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to have land. Someone's going to make any money. So you get your friends to get the benefit. Yes, a private person's getting a benefit. But the public is getting its housing. That is honest graft. Now, dishonest graft is when you built something on your friend's property that the public didn't really want. Or need. Or need. That's dishonest graft. He had no problems with honest graft. So why is this getting built now? I can only recite with George Washington Plunkett, who was an expert in this, and perhaps he has provided an example. Certainly it's worth looking at. He's an entertainer from history, though, much the way that Shirley Temple or... Well, or the thing is, he was describing... You really how have to W.C. Fields. Shirley I Temple think. just died. The, the, uh, not died? that she died. No, that she gave us such joy for so many years, much like Mr. Plunkett. Well, uh, you know, and and I think that uh, um, hmm. he may very well know more about why this is being done hmm. than we are. Certainly, <laughs> uh, and I throw that out there without without uh, just pointing out that it might be something people want to read. Well, we uh, can't know why Jones is continuing to put right. all of his political clout behind this terrible idea. Capital. Capital, I mean, he has a lot of options. There are a million options, really. He's chosen this do. one, and every time he runs into a problem, he basically raises the bar he in does, term, yeah. terms of his explanation, right? Mm -hmm. When uh, And my understanding is the ministers are about to come out. <laughs> He's got some ministers, and more ministers are going to come out oh, well. and, and endorse. So you ask yourself, when have all these people, lined up to force something that they know the people of the city do not want. Well, because it's a grab bag. I mean, you've got something for everybody. No, in no, this, well, in this no, that doesn't answer the question. Why on this particular project? But isn't that the problem? We, there is we no answer. To the, is the, yeah, well, it doesn't well, answer the well, question. Well, let me ask but you this, Paul, because you're the resident question. political yeah. expert. I mean, I yeah. know a little bit about politics, but I yield to you still to this day. Understandably. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Why did, why did the governor walk into city council last night and count noses? Well, if you listen to the governor's people, he just happened to be there, and he just wanted to express himself. And as Out I, for a walk. And I said, that's what I said on my interview. It is his neighborhood. I know. I said, you know, as Yogi Berra said, some things are too coincidental to be a coincidence. I think this qualifies is consistent with the fact that the mayor and various powerful special interests are pulling out all the stops. And so I ask again, what is it that you want to put out all the stops on something that you know the people don't want? I mean, they're... Well, who really cares what Terry McCall thinks anyways at this point? Well, I mean, there are three members let me of tell you. Council. Let me tell you who cares. Let me. I got this one. It's hit. It's it was hit right at me. I'll throw the guy out at first. Don't worry. Um, you've got a predominantly Democratic city council, and those people need the city Democratic committee's endorsement to be elected again. Those who are going to be elected again 
are yearning for that city Democratic Committee endorsement because we're in a cycle of city council elections that matches up with the presidential cycle. So motivated voters come out in droves on a presidential cycle year. Okay, and so, so you've got that. the leader of the party, the leader of the Democratic Party in the state of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, standing before you. You better snap too. Maybe there is a coincidence that that the governor happened to be there last night. I think it'd be really. I happen to like this governor. I think it'd be I happen neat to if think he highly starts to make governor. city council into part of his rounds. My question is this: politically, <laughs> politically, Paul. I didn't mean to ignore you, but what did you say? Politically, Paul. <laughs> My question is, why is a governor involved this early in his tenure? In city politics. If it was three years down the road, maybe. He just happened. He was was out for a walk and saw the lights on in the the council chamber. He's going to become the tenth counselor. Well, you know, he he, um, promised that he would bring all these... Economic development projects. Is that basically what you're saying? And is that he's he sees an opportunity here. We're presuming there was a reason. Uh, I, I, one has to assume that the governor didn't show up on his own. He was invited. Uh, must have been invited by the mayor. You think he was invited? Oh, absolutely. That's just that's just the way it works. Oh, wait a minute. You know? I thought you said he was just out for a walk. Well, he, he was just out for a walk looking for the mayor because he was supposed to find him somewhere and thought he might be at city council. Well, speaking of walking, um, we've got to walk. So I'd like to ask the final question, if you don't mind. Absolutely, Uh, Charlie. You know, I'd like to ask the final question, and and that is this. Will there be a new baseball stadium in Chaco Bottom in the next two years? Paul? If the uh, opponents don't do a better job of making their case, I th- and if it takes five votes, then I'd say yes. Michael? Michael, you're taking too long to answer the question. <laughs> this is radio, baby. There will not be a ballpark in Chaco Bottom in two years. People Reasoning? Will, people will realize that Richmond needs more than a short-term economic stimulus, and I think there are going to be some economic um, studies done on the ballpark plan, and the numbers that they've used to promote it, and we're going to see that it's not really going to make as much money as we think, and the risk is too great for the people of Richmond. Okay. Um, Charlie, you got an answer to Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think that there is going to be a ballpark in Shaco Bottom uh, because of the political machinery in this town and how well it's oiled, and it's running pretty well these days. And I think that five votes is what it's going to take because of the new structure of the deal. I think the EDA is going to build it just like they built the Redskins part. And I think uh, the thing that concerns me, not to go on too long or being too verbose, (laughs) is my concern now is Venture Richmond because now they're online to manage the park. And I think that goes outside the boundaries of their charge. Um, Chris, I don't think you have an opinion, do you? You're not allowed. I'm You're a journalist. I'm not an opinion. I am, um, I'm just the dude over here. Folks, you've been listening to WRIR <laughs> 97.3 LPFM in Richmond, Virginia, and this has been RVA Report. Paul Goldman, former chairman of the Democratic Party of, of, of our Grand Commonwealth, has been with us, and uh, Michael uh, Rogers has been with us, who is a blogger extraordinaire, highways and... Hallowed halls. Hallowed halls. Highways and hallowed halls. Still semi-anonymous over and there. That, 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 and, and we haven't keep said your way. name too many times tonight <laughs> for the very purpose that you should keep your anonymity because you are the man in Richmond right now, blogger-wise. And we've also been joined by my co-host oh, and co-producer, Chris Dovey, uh, who is of uh, a great Italian family, the Dovines, right? No, no, no Dovi, no, yeah, and Dovines, and he has no opinion because he is a uh, a news guy. And I've um, been with Charlie, Charlie Dirador. I'm Charlie Dirador, and you've been listening to yet another great installment of RVA Report. Thanks for joining us, folks.
And that's RVA Report for Thursday, February 13th, 2014. Thanks for listening. I'm Charlie Dirador. RVA Report is co-produced by myself, Chris Dovey, and Brittany Tracy. The Richmond Public Media News Team is Cameron Vigliano, Abid Rockman, and Onofrio Castilla. News keeps happening, which means there'll be plenty more to talk about next week right here on RVA Report. Join us. Just what makes that little old ant Think he'll move that rubber tree plant Anyone knows an ant can't Move a rubber tree plant But he's got high hopes He's got high hopes He's got high apple pie In the sky So anytime you're getting low Instead of letting Go, just remember that ant. Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. A silly old ram Thought he'd punch a hole in a dam No one could make that ram scram He kept butting that dam Cause he had high hopes He had high hopes He had high apple pie In the sky hopes So anytime you're feeling bad Instead of feeling sad Just remember that ram Oops, there goes a billion kilowatt dam Oops, there goes a billion kilowatt dam Problem curve, plop. Oops, there goes another problem curve, plop. Oops, there goes another problem curve, plop.